Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Hello, welcome to the Mark My Words podcast, and I'm Mark Homer. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the housing white paper that's just been released by central government. It's a little bit shorter than normal. It's, it's an update. It's, it's my analysis of, of what government is saying about planning policy and about how they're going to help small developers and certainly institutional investors invest in the, in the, in the private rented sector. Hi, Mark Homer here and welcome. I'm going to talk to you about the white paper that has just been released. The government have been talking about this for a number of years. They've admitted that the housing market is broken. They say that we're not building enough houses, which goes right back to 2003 with the Barker report. They say we're, we've got a significant shortfall in housing completions every year versus demand, hence why prices are rising so much and you know, people can't afford to buy in some areas. Not all areas are, you know, have a huge disparity between income and, and, and house price. And the government is saying that they're going to do something about this. So hence the, the white paper. Now, previously, they've talked a lot about changing the planning system. They've talked about adding permitted development rights for offices, which they did, which gave all of us some nice projects. And we, we all created some, some nice homes from those. But by and large, the changes to the planning system and the other changes that the government have brought in haven't really increased the number of completions every year, i.e. we're still at around 150,000 worth of properties being built or, or completed every year and we probably need to be nearer 250,000. So there's quite a big gap there, hence why prices, capital values and, and, and rents keep rising. And you might say, well, as a landlord, that's a pretty good thing and I suppose it is. But the flip side to that is it can only go on for so long and only become, you know, so unaffordable before there's a backlash. And, you know, what's happening now is, 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 is creating some of this. The government are under a lot of pressure to make the process easier to build more homes and create new homes and convert new homes. So this is what they are proposing to do. The white paper is, is the first stage of this. A lot of it is a consultation. They're going to go out to you know, people in the industry and ask questions and work out what they think is going to be viable and what isn't going to be viable. So these are the main points that they brought out with the white paper. The first one is that there are going to be new regulations to force local councils to update their local plan every five years. Now, every local council should have a local plan. And I know whenever I apply for planning permission on a development, if they haven't got a local plan, it becomes much, much easier for me to get planning permission. So that's already there. And they, they need to have a housing plan for you know, how many houses they need and in what areas. And if they haven't worked out you know, what those allocations are, then developers are already sort of ahead of the game and you know, it makes it easier. But some councils haven't been doing that and they, lots of them still haven't got an up-to-date plan. So there are actually going to be regulations now, according to the government. They haven't put them in and you know, not all the details there. And there's certainly a theme through this, this, this whole white paper, as usual, where we, we, we get the headlines and we get the generic stuff, but a lot of the detail is not released yet or even decided. And of course, it's the detail that usually makes the difference between making it something that us as landlords can benefit from and something that might be detrimental to our business. 
So at the moment they're saying they're going to require local councils to update that local plan every five years. The next change that the government is proposing is that they're going to provide more funding for local council planning departments. I know in a lot of areas it can be quite difficult to get planning permission just because there aren't enough people in the planning department to deal with all the applications. They can be quite inefficient, don't get onto things and you don't get your, your planning permission within the eight weeks, within the, you know, the, the allotted time period, often it, it runs over. And the effect of that is that councils may be more likely, if they've got a rush, just to say no to things because they haven't got the manpower or the experts to, to sort of put in the right places to work out whether something's viable so it's easier just to say no because they don't want to be passing things which creates a lot of local opposition. I know of one scheme recently that's created a, a lot of local opposition and um, it may have been passed if they'd got more resource in the planning department to deal with that planning application and look into it more deeply but you know the the status quo is if it's risky well we'll just say no and and that protects our, our backs and and then the, the developer ends up going to appeal getting the planning inspector out and often it gets overturned on appeal but that can take some time so the government say they're going to put more money into local planning departments what's the effect of that well it very much depends on how much money they put in whether local councils spend that efficiently so it's going to take a number of years to work out what effect that's actually had so it's another one of those vague statements but could have a positive effect we're not exactly sure how much right now there's also going to be a more standardized approach to creating that local plan that I spoke about a few moments ago. So, so that local plan which shows you know, the allocations of you know, how many houses and where they need to be built in each town and what the, the local policies are. Within that local plan, there needs to be a standardized approach to creating the plan. I know when I'm looking to do a development, I always look at the local plan and different councils produce that in different ways and it doesn't really help developers you know when they're looking to do a conversion or you know what's the the parking standards or you know you know what's the affordable element or whatever it is that approach needs to be standardized so they're, they're going to be changing that shortly the next reasonably big change is that councils are going to be given the power to look at a candidate's previous track record in delivering new homes so if you get a, a local developer who has built a number of homes previously and you know they've they've delivered and they've 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 created some 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 good new schemes then that will probably stand them in better stead to getting a planning consent um, so i haven't seen that before obviously sort of unofficially officers prefer giving consents to developers that they know will do a good job but you know i haven't seen anything official along those lines. Planning consent should just be granted to, to anybody on the same basis and now they're saying that, that actually within the rules that's going to change so you know people that have done previous schemes are more likely to to get consent in the future and it's something else they're going to consult on so we'll see the detail later and we'll see the true impact of that later on but that should be coming shortly. The government have also mentioned that they want to encourage more development of rental properties. Now specifically they they're looking towards the, the um, institutional larger scale investors. Now, at the moment, this is reasonably vague, but I suspect we may be able to create some schemes as, as smaller investors and, and, and developers that maybe fit their criteria. Now, again, there isn't specific detail on you know, what it is, what the threshold will be and how it will work, but because they want to encourage 
institutional investment, i.e. maybe a block of flats. What they're saying is that they're going to give planning consents more freely on developments like that. So what I can envisage is you may get a, a planning consent for a block of flats that are going to be rented out that you, you may not have or ordinarily have done, but there may be some sort of condition in the planning or maybe a covenant at land registry which says those properties have to be rented out and they're going to introduce longer term tenancies for those properties. So it looks like they may within that planning permission mandate that there are these family friendly three year minimum leases which are granted to people who live in, in, in that kind of accommodation. So, you know, a, a longer term three year lease, you know, on, on these institutional, as they call it, developments, well, it, it could mean anything. I mean, it could be, you know, you develop a, a block of 14 apartments, you get the planning consent based on the fact that, you know, you've you're going to rent these out and you may have to rent them out. There may be no other choice. But the, the, the sweetener is, A, they may reduce some of the affordable homes contributions, which, which at the moment can be quite large. Certainly in, in Peterborough, once we get over 15 units, we have 30% of the units that we have to give to the housing association or, or pay them a, a commuted sum. And we have the community infrastructure levy, which is another effectively tax, which plays for local services. And, and I know on a development I did recently, I had to pay for some gravestones and, and, and some other things. So the big effect here is I suspect they may be flexing or reducing the affordable homes contribution and maybe the, the SIL payment that you have to make on these developments and also be more likely to give you planning permission on them if they're brought into uh, a process where you, you, know, you get a condition or a covenant on the, the title which says you've got to rent these properties out and then they may say that they've got to be rented on longer term tenancies. I don't have an issue with that. I'd like you know, to, 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 to rent properties out on a, on a longer term tenancy as, as, a, as a landlord and as an investor. For me, this is a, a lifelong investment. So you know, I think that's a positive thing. As long as rents can be varied and increased with the market, and you've still got the same power to um, you know, evict if rent isn't paid or there are other breaches of the tenancy or the lease. I think that could be a, a positive thing. And uh, I think lots of investors would see that in, in a similar light. National planning policy is also going to be amended so that small windfall sites are going to obtain planning in an easier way. Now, this is a, still a little bit woolly. Uh, again, we yet to see the detail, they're consulting on a lot of this, but it looks like if there's a, a new brownfield site that is identified, uh, and it could be a public sector land, then planning will become quite a bit easier to obtain on those kind of sites. Again, they may be helping with the affordable homes contribution or the sale, reducing that. A lot of these policies could go down a similar direction to the permitted development rights we got on offices, where if you, you bought an office and you converted it to residential, there was no community infrastructure levy, no affordable homes contribution, and you know, no minimum space standards, and, and, and often you managed to, to do developments with much less parking. And they were major changes, certainly around here in Peterborough, which made offices a lot, lot more feasible. And um, you know, if, you're, if you're looking at a, an affordable homes contribution, that could be 20,000, which, you know, suddenly gets wiped because you're following one of these schemes. So this could be a, another positive thing, but again, we need to wait and see. Unlike media speculation that was saying that the, the green belt, which is land which is around most of the towns and cities 
that we live in that accounts for around 15% of the land mass in the UK, which is clearly a huge area. It looks like they're not going to change planning policy in a major way to, to open that up. They're saying there are still loads of brownfield sites, you know, sites that have been built on previously and lots of public sector land and, and lots of other land that's unviable because the costs of, of building on it or the contributions that you've got to give to the council are too high, meaning that you, know, you, you wouldn't do the development because there was no profit in it. They're saying they're going to work on those things first and protect the Greenbelt. It was actually a, a manifesto pledge of the, the Conservatives that they were going to continue to, to protect the Greenbelt. There's a big lobby, there's a hell of a lot of people that don't want to see their green open space built on around their, their towns, towns, villages and cities. So the government is saying that they're going to protect that area. Quite interesting when I look at any of these reports that say there's no land to build on in the UK, if you, if you take a flight, you know, you go out of, of Heathrow or Gatwick or Stansted or you know, Manchester, most of the big airports, quite quickly after going out over the city, you're into green open space and you, know, you, you start to realise that actually a huge amount of the United Kingdom is not built on. A lot of it is water and obviously lots of it's green field or green belt and, uh, and the reason that a lot of it isn't built on is because of planning policy or the fact that you know the development isn't viable because the costs of of doing it with all the, the money you have to pay the the councils and other bodies uh, mean that there's no profit in the site so so there is land to build on we have got space and you know it's just a question of how the rules get changed and how much they get changed to allow for more of this land to, to get built on and, and to encourage developers to, to want to build on the land you know, by making the, the sites viable and, and profitable. Another change within the national planning policy framework is that new developments are going to have to reach a certain density metric. So if you're building particularly big flats or big houses, in certain areas, that actually might not be acceptable anymore when you go for planning permission. Quite interestingly, I've noticed in the past, if you do a big flat or a big house, most councils don't care. They're not bothered if you don't make money out of it. Clearly, as you do smaller units and more of them, you tend to make more money dependent on the area. But this is sort of going the other way with councils saying, well, we're going to have to enforce a certain density metric and, and you're going to have to put X amount of houses or X amount of, of flats within an acre. So that, that's going to encourage higher densities, which surely is part of the solution here. Many flats and, and houses have been built much bigger in the past and it just seems un, un, unnecessary, especially when we're faced with the, the challenge that we are where there aren't enough homes. We've seen three bed houses over the years gone from you know, say in the 70s or 80s, there might have been 11, 1200 square foot. They're now probably 850, 800 square foot. I've seen, I've seen a three bed house at 750 square foot. You know, they're tiny. You know, I've seen a three bed house at 750 square foot. So they've been getting smaller and smaller. And that's answered the, the kind of affordability question in some ways. Families are living in smaller houses. Yeah, they're more money, but they're not as much as they would have been. Uh, had they been the same size as they were in the 70s. So that, 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 that's helped in some ways and I suspect the move towards smaller flats, smaller houses will continue and the densities will, will increase and will be forced to increase through planning policy. Coupled with that, there's going to be an amendment made to the nationally described size standard, which is the size by which lots of local councils insist you have to build flats or houses over. So 
you know, in my area here, they may accept a one bed over 40 square metres. They may accept a two bed over 50 square metres. Well, they're saying they're going to amend that and reduce those sizes. Local councils are going to be forced to give consent to schemes that are smaller and, and, and have, you know, more units in them, have smaller bedrooms. You know, there's ways of engineering corridors more effectively you know with a flat you could probably take the entrance corridor out and you walk straight into the living room um, if you put some sprinklers in and meet some other building regs requirements in, in terms of fire it is possible so you know developers are, are being forced to think in a more inventive way and, and to look at the layouts of these apartments to create more space it's very very important conversely they'll probably end up making more money because the amount they get per square foot tends to rise quite a bit when they make smaller units, as long as they're efficient and they're, they're nice to live in. Within the white paper, the government are also talking about a new scheme called the Accelerated Construction Programme, which is a mechanism for small and medium-sized builders to be encouraged to build on public sector land. So public sector land might be land that the council owns, and I know around here they own, still own a lot of land that they they'd be looking to, to sell off. And this scheme is going to create partnerships between public bodies and maybe the council and small and medium-sized developers, not the big ones, but the small and medium-sized developers to build land out, to, to provide units and to, you know, to deliver schemes. So that's quite an interesting change where, where central government is, is going to be forcing councils not just to deal with the big boys, but to deal with the smaller developers. So if you find a plot of land, you want to build one of these residential schemes out where you're going to rent a block of flats. You may be able to go into partnership with the council to do that. Maybe you split some of the profit, but if you're going to be providing these homes for, for rent, the local council may be more inclined to do that with you and give you the planning permission to do that. So that's a new program that's starting shortly. Interestingly, I haven't seen anything yet that talks about longer tenancies on properties within the private rented sector. I know there was a lot of talk about this before the green paper got released, but you know, I've read through the whole document and I can't see anything that specifically says that there are going to be longer tenancies for properties within the private rented sector. Now, clearly they're still consulting on this. It's not finalized and they could still do it. And they say that they want to encourage longer term tenancies, but I haven't seen anything that's going to mandate it. So that will be, you know, quite a big thing for us as small landlords. Are we going to be, you know, is the option going to be there for a three year tenancy A and B, you know, is it going to be mandated that all tenancies are going to be longer term? At the moment, it doesn't seem certain. It doesn't seem certain the government are necessarily going to move on that. I think they want to encourage it. They want to give more security of tenure to tenants. And I know, you know, in the past I've rented and it can be quite difficult if you've just got a six month AST, you don't want to, you know, do any works to the property, you don't feel particularly secure there, you know, you pay for all the furniture. It can be quite difficult to, to lay roots down where you know that the, the landlord could, you know, effectively evict you with a couple of months notice. So they want to in, encourage longer term investors and I suggest that's what we should all be. I think they want to discourage the accidental landlord and those with one or two. But you know, I, I think if you see this as a long term investment and you want to build your portfolio on a sustainable basis and on a long term basis, that could be a really good thing having a longer tenancy. You know they're in there for three years, the bank will probably quite like it and um, you know, subject to them paying the rent and following the terms of the lease or, or, or the AST, the tenancy agreement, I think that could, that could be very good. And it, they've also confirmed or prior to this 
white paper, Gavin Barwell confirmed that there won't be any rent control. So they've ruled that out. They're saying it's a, a non-starter. You know, we saw what happened, you know, prior to the, the, the Housing Act, you know, where you had these kind of rogue landlords and most of the housing stock was not of a decent standard. It, it, it fell into disrepair because private landlords were not encouraged to invest because they couldn't get, you know, higher rent. They found it very difficult to evict people, even if they weren't paying rent and they, they, they didn't have incentive to invest in the property because you know, rents got suppressed to a very, very low level. So the Conservatives are ruling that out at the moment. Who knows in the future, you know, Labour may want to do something else, but it looks like uh, they're not going to be in power for, for a long time. So on the whole, this new white paper looks like it could be quite positive, certainly for those who uh, are wanting to develop, either to sell or, or, or to rent out. I don't see much in it that's going to impact the, 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 the small landlord as yet, but clearly they're going through this consultation process and more will come out and, and obviously lots is in the detail. I would like to have seen a little bit more about extra permitted development rights. I know they were talking previously about being able to build up without planning permission as long as the buildings around you know, were, were, were higher than yours. So you would have been able to, to, to build up to the level of the buildings around yours. Now, at the moment, they're still talking about that being in London only, and there's nothing specific or concrete about it. But that would be a, a boon for, for lots of building owners because you'd be able to, to, to buy a block, or if you already own a block, you'd be able to you know, put residential above and add a lot of value to your investment. So that's a, a permitted development right that's they're sort of talking about, but it wasn't in, in the white paper as, as Gavin Barwell suggested. And other interesting permitted development rights which could be introduced, which I'd love to see, would be uh, on nightclubs, which, you know, there are lots of nightclubs sitting up and down the country. They're empty. Yes, there's, there's a big kind of, you know, space in the middle of them with no light and you need to work out how you're going to engineer light into the building. But lots of those schemes are, you know, ripe for development nightclubs have gone bust you know people leave pubs generally you know later now rather than at 11 o'clock so they don't need to go to a nightclub so that that's a possibility and the other one is cinemas as well extending the permitted development rights on those so it'd be interesting to see if they extend those maybe some more on retail extending the size because at the moment it's, it's it's relatively small in terms of the size of retail space which can be permitted development so most most shops most retail you, you end up buying and you have to get full planning on but um, yeah, they're, they're some of the biggest changes I could see coming. Nothing specific on them yet, but I'll update you as and when the information's released. I'll tell you what I think it means for us as landlords and, and small developers, and I'll tell you what I'm doing to react to it to, to make our business more profitable. Thanks for watching. That's been Mark Homer for the white paper update. I hope you got lots of value from it. If you've got any further questions, have a look on the website, www.progressiveproperty.co.uk or send me an email, markhomer at progressiveproperty.co.uk. So those are my thoughts. I hope you enjoyed the episode and goodbye.